What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. Hold on real quick, you guys. We're jumping into an ad. The long-awaited moment. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome back to part two of our case on Robert Eric Wan. This is episode 21. I'm so ready for this. I have all of my notes ready for you. (laughs) You're prepared. I can see them and it is a list. (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) If you haven't listened to the first part of this case, go back and take a listen before starting this episode. I want to give one more listener warning that the discussion in this case today will contain sensitive and graphic information. Some listeners might find this disturbing. Please take care while listening. So let's get back up to speed. We know that in our last episode, we ended with Joseph Price giving Kathy a call to let her know that her husband had been stabbed. But not dead. But not dead. Kathy and Robert's parents arrive to the hospital where they are informed that Robert has been pronounced dead. Mm -hmm. And we touched on the police searching the townhome with the cadaver dogs Mm -hmm. in which they located the trace blood amounts in both the dryer lint trap on the second floor as well as inside the drain located on the patio. Mm -hmm. All right. You ready? I am. And just so everybody knows, so the time frame, right, because Brittany stated that she wanted us to pay close attention to two hours and 19 minutes, which is the window frame from Robert Wan calling his wife to let her know that he was on his way to Radio Free Asia to introduce himself to the second staff, get to Joseph Price's house, and then the phone call ensued and all this other stuff. So I did the math. So from the Radio Free Asia station to Joseph Price House on DuPont Circle, it is an eight-minute car ride. So if you think about it right, he gets there to the Radio Free Asia, maybe takes a half hour most. I I don't think he would take longer than that to introduce himself as a whole to the night staff. Right. And then gets a cab, leaves, which I'm sure he already had set up to pick him up at a specific amount of time. He gets there, I would assume, within 40 to 45 minutes from having the phone call with his wife. Right. So you would assume a little after 10. Yes. And I stated, giving him an hour, that he probably arrived around 10.30. Yes. So maybe like quarter after 10. Yep. And then next thing you know, he is pronounced dead. With a little amount of blood. 22 a.m. Yes. All right. Okay. We're back up to speed. I'm ready. There's so many. (laughs) So many questions. Is there more? Just so everybody knows, I did the research on specific things. I don't know what else happened. Are is there a lot more? There's a lot more. You're about to learn. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, no. get prepared. Am I ready? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> All right. While searching through the rest of the townhouse, police found various items related to BDSM sex oh. play <laughs> in no. Dylan's room. I was not ready for that. Which included shackles, gags, restraints, and a host of other toys. Oh. Here we go. Yeah. The men explained that Dylan and Joe were in a dominant, submissive sexual relationship in which Dylan was the dominant and Joe was the submissive. Interesting. Yes, because in life, Joseph was very dominant. But I feel like that's usually how it goes. Yes. Okay. They also located a device that is commonly referred to as a milking machine, which is designed to be placed on a man's penis and force him to ejaculate. Uh, Yes. (laughs) 
Okay. This device becomes especially important information to the police's theory about what happened following the autopsy of Robert's body. Oh, you were going to take us to places I don't want to go. Yes, I am. So I want you to keep this device that they found in mind, okay? The the milking machine? The milking machine. machine. Okay. Police were able to confirm that the knife on the bedside table that was next to Robert, right, mm-hmm. came from a knife block in the kitchen, but they doubted that it was the murder weapon. Because of the small amount of blood, I'm assuming? Yes. Okay. The small amount of blood located on the blade appeared to have been placed there to make it look like it was the murder weapon. Which takes me back to the 911 phone call, which I took the time to listen to this 911 phone call from Joseph's partner or husband or whatever. From Uh Yes. And (laughs) it's very interesting, to say the least. I don't know if you're going to post it on our page for everybody else to listen to. So we're actually going to include a link in our show notes if you want to go and listen to that phone call. But because of all the different laws when it comes to playing phone calls and audio laws within different states, yes, and copyright laws, we are not going to play that in the podcast. But there is a link if you want to listen to it and haven't heard it before. Yes. So when you guys listen to this phone call, I'm curious to see if you share my sentiment. So usually if you think about it, if this is a friend of your partner's, so I'm assuming you guys would also have a close relationship, whether you like them or not. And in a phone call, you find out a guest in your home has been stabbed and a essentially maybe did, you would think that there would be a sense of urgency to the phone call. Like, hey, you guys need to get somebody here. Please send help. What do I do? Just frantic, I would think at that point, if you had a heart anyway, you know, that's not the phone call that I heard. He was very calm for some weird and by calm I mean calm as in this was maybe a minor inconvenience versus a friend of mine has been stabbed by an intruder and by that amount you would think that you would panic by that anyway right somebody broke into my house I don't know if they're still here no it was he was very relaxed and I mean he cries at the end asking them to send help but it does, it's not, it's not a sincere phone call. It's, it sounds very, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Staged. Um, Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes. So I'm curious to see what all of you guys think when you listen to it. Yes. But again, I'm going to go the other side of that and everyone handles everything differently. Oh no, I I totally. So maybe, maybe he was handling it in his own way but I will agree with you I have heard it multiple times and it does sound very strange a little staged even the psychology aspect right even if I entertain that thought process of yes everybody does process things differently and everybody reacts to shock differently there's still at least a little sense of urgency and there definitely was not with with Victor's phone call yes. at I think all even with shock you can hear or sense the shock versus oh no I spilt my beer on the floor type of thing (laughs) like oh crap yeah big difference yes I get it the guest room that Robert was staying in showed no signs of a struggle and was very neat and tidy the house in general showed no signs of any break-in and was also neat and tidy the police discovered a knife set in a cabinet in Dylan's room oh I'm not really sure who who keeps knives in their rooms but i mean maybe that's random i wonder what kind of cabinet was it was like it was it a closet with a thing or was it like a full-on like 
cabinet. I think it was a closet. Okay. And just in there were knives. That's still kind of weird. Was he <laughs> was he a chef? He was a masseuse at the time. Oh, so I'm well, not that, really sure why you would have knives. That makes totally maybe sense. The, maybe the set of knives goes with the BDSM uh, role-playing. That could be a possibility. I feel like people could use that in certain role-playing scenarios, and that might have been something that they as a couple were into. Yeah, like a scenario mm-hmm. as in let's play out stabbing my friend from college type oh, thing. Okay. Is, that what, is that what we mean? So Jessica has already jumped to conclusions Okay, here. well, I mean, you have a cabinet of <laughs> knives in your room but you aren't uh, uh... okay (laughs) so in the knife set that was found in dylan's room this specific set was missing a four and a half inch knife oh that's a pretty big knife yes that knife would have been consistent with robert's stab wounds and that knife has still never been found to this day oh how convenient dylan but (laughs) yes i'm jumping to conclusions hey we're getting there Let's talk about the autopsy that was performed on Robert's body the day after he was stabbed. Ooh, did it show all these toxicology? Did they do a toxicology report? They did. Yeah. There were three stab wounds in Robert's torso and a broken blood vessel in his eye, which would indicate that he had been smothered Mm -hmm. in addition to being stabbed. It was determined that all of the stab wounds had been made using the same roughly four and a half inch blade, and each wound was between four and five inches deep. Jeez. This would effectively remove the possibility that the knife found at the scene on the bedside table was the murder weapon. In addition to the knife wounds, there were several other strange things on Robert's body, which included several needle marks on his neck, right foot, and left hand that had all been inflicted before he died. Interesting. It's an interesting fact there. Okay, so I'm interested to see what the toxicology report comes. (laughs) A routine drug scan was completed. All of which came back negative. What? Yes, but unfortunately, this drug testing panel did not include testing for any paralytic agents, which would include the date rape drug, and none of Robert's blood was preserved prior to his burial. So date rape drugs, which is, what's the main component? Ketamine. Ketamine. Yes. Yes. So a typical drug panel that they performed is going to look for all of the other drugs like your methamphetamines and your heroin and all of those things, but they did not look for the date rape drug. But this was early 2000s. Yes, it was. That makes sense. I don't think they were, were they even doing ketamine? Because I feel like ketamine became bigger as time went on. So just so everybody knows, ketamine, right, is one of the main components in your date rape drug. So it's a sedative or a paralytic, like Brittany stated, and it only resonates in your body for a very short amount of time. And then it dissipates and you'll never be able to prove that it was in your system to begin with. Well, and I don't feel like they thought that, you know, I don't know, maybe they could have tested for it and it wasn't something that came to mind as something that should have been looked for. So then I wonder, would they have looked for it if it was a woman? Not to be sexist, but that's a valid question, right? Did we not think of looking for this specific date rape drug because he was a man? And he was staying in a home with three homosexuals. But maybe that wasn't something we were going to look into. We're getting there. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to be so upset about this. So there was no indication that 
Robert had put up any kind of a struggle and any and all defensive wounds were completely absent from his hands, arms, and legs. Well, yeah, because if a date rape drug is being injected into the back of his <laughs> neck, his left foot and wait, left hand and foot, he's going to be paralyzed. Yes. It appeared as though he had just laid there, unmoving <sighs> through that, throughout the entire attack. Oh my god, he would have felt everything everything yes a rape kit was performed on robert's body this swabbed his penis rectum and the inside of his mouth and inside his anus the lab found semen present in each cavity oh good was it dylan no strangely enough all of the semen belonged to robert Juan himself wait 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 wait, wait, wait. the victim yes the victim what the hell yes all of it was his Based on the findings and the limited evidence that was collected at the scene, police concluded that Robert Wan was attacked, incapacitated with some sort of paralytic agent, sexually assaulted, and stabbed to death on the night of August 2nd. Wait a minute. (laughs) I'm sorry. So in all of these cavities, they found the victim's semen. Nobody else's semen. Nobody else's was found. Okay, so... This is going to take me down an avenue that I don't really want to go down. I'm just, I'm We're upset here. that you're putting me in this position. <laughs> so let's, let's rewind to the first episode, right? So we know that when the police were doing their investigation of looking into everybody's rooms, they found the knife set yes. in Dylan's, who's not a chef, but a masseuse. Yes. And then they also found all these sex toys, which included gags. It included shackles. And and he and it was a BDSM relationship between him and Joe. Between Dylan, Dylan and, and Joe. Joe. Yes. yes. Dylan was the dom. Joe was the submissive. Right? Yes. Victor okay. did not participate in the BDSM aspect of their relationship. I think Dylan was brought into their marriage between Joseph and Victor specifically for Joseph. Okay, so you think that Victor and Dylan, so it's not a throuple, it's a Victor and Joseph are married and they are committed to one another. And then Joseph is having a separate but open relationship from Victor to Dylan. Exactly. Okay, but it's not, it's not between all three. No, not not all three men participate in the BDSM sexual acts or even in a sexual relationship. Interesting. So being a traditionally raised Asian, I'm going to go off on a limb and probably state that Robert was, and it says in the reports, right, that he was really great. He was very sincere. He was very kind. I would think that he would be more submissive, right? Right. In that aspect, so maybe with Dylan doing what he did or enjoyed, I guess you could say, right, being a dom, saw those aspects in Robert. Mm -hmm. And as a masseuse, see, I, I don't know about that. I think it can, I don't know if it's a myth or not, because you have pressure points. Right. Mm -hmm. And a masseuse would know why I would think a good masseuse would know. (laughs) You should know. Yes. yes. They would know pressure points, but I don't know if it's a myth or not in regards to if you apply a certain amount of pressure to those specific points, does that not paralyze, but make it to where you can use Well, I've always heard that as well. So I'm not sure. We need all of the masseuses that are listening to answer that question. It might be a myth. Yeah. 
Anyway, so let's say we have all this knowledge and we know that Robert didn't put up a struggle. We know that he had needle wounds or needle punctures right in the back of his neck, in his foot and in his hand, which I know that in the back of your foot, you have a really big vein. In your hand, we know there's veins. I don't really know what the point of the neck would be well i think you have veins in your neck wait i'm you mean yeah. you have veins anywhere but i right i don't i've just never heard about anything being injected through the back of your neck yeah previously so let's say that dylan injected him however i guess did he just wait until he was sleeping and robert was just like a really heavy sleeper and then you had several needles lying in wait to inject him or did he get there within that 40 45 minute window you get there with friends, it's about, what, 10, 10.30? Right. Maybe they had drinks, because I feel like that's what you do with friends that you haven't seen in a while, right? You right. have a drink with them. Maybe the, whomever, Dylan, put the date rape drug in his initial drink because it's odorless, tasteless, right? Right. So he never would have known. Gave him a little bit. He got tired. One upstairs, did his nighttime routine because he had his mouth guard in his mouth, right? right? When he felt, which is very random, that that's how he was undisturbed. So maybe he lay down, went to bed. And in the meantime, he had been given enough to where Dylan could then inject more to the specific areas of his body that he wanted him to be paralyzed within yes and then i wonder this is where what i mean by i we're gonna go places i don't want to go i wonder if in the bdsm realm if it's a dom and a submissive the submissive does what the dom wants essentially so if it's a control thing i feel like dylan having him ejaculate having him ejaculate and then inserting that semen into himself. So essentially he's effing himself or whatever, right? Which to me, it's it's like the full control of somebody. Right. Maybe that's why. I, I can't explain why else Robert's semen would be in his own right. cavities. Well, and I think whoever did this was smart in doing that because their DNA is not found. You know what I mean? Yeah, it takes me back to the milking machine because if you're a submissive, the dom wants control over you. So maybe he placed the milking machine onto Robert's genitalia. He, I'm assuming, already would have been passed out. He would have been able, he would have been conscious, right, mentally, but would have been passed out. Can guys, can they ejaculate when they're sleeping or unconscious? Is that a thing? I don't know. Oh no! You know, please, I, no one answer that I question would say for I us would either. It, but I'm pretty sure yeah, it's going to take me down. I don't. I'm not trying to. Okay. I think, regardless, that was a very smart move in the criminal aspect of whoever did that because their DNA is nowhere to be found. But clearly, they participated in this sexual act that took place, and nothing, nothing is left behind from this person. It was all Robert's DNA. I wonder if this was the first time that Dylan was meeting Robert and obviously Joseph and Robert share this very special relationship, like friendship. I'm not stating sexually. I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that because I feel like you're going to tell me as we go more into the story that because these three, Dylan, Victor, and Joseph, because they're highly involved in the LGBTQ plus community, that all of these police officers in the early 2000s, which would have been when Prop 8 was about to skyrocket, right? right? 
um, right. are going to think that Robert was gay all along, which how devastating for his wife. Yes, I'm sure that was devastating. But I wonder, was de- as in, I'm right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, and I'm not going to go on to tell you that in the story because I purposely left that out because I think it's inappropriate to the case. And I think it's inappropriate to the justice of Robert's life. But when you say inappropriate to the case, do you mean inappropriate by the way the case was handled? Or do you mean inappropriate as this is the reality and the police officers may or may not have taken things seriously because they had already passed judgment that Robert was a homosexual? You know, I don't feel like this case was mishandled at all, actually. For once? Yeah, for once. I think the only unfortunate mishandling of the case is the fact that Robert's blood wasn't preserved. But I mean, how were they to know, right? They weren't, they weren't to know that. But mishandled in the fact that there was instant judgment because one man was with other homosexual Mm -hmm. males and once they found the bdsm items i think it was just i'm gonna automatically assume what i think happened happened okay and i i personally me myself and i do not feel like that was even a thing I think he was with Kathy and he was very much in love with Kathy and i don't think his sexuality had anything to do with it so Yes, I think that was mishandled. But I think it's anyone would have that judgment. I think you and I differ on this because you don't think the police mishandled the case. And I think as we go forward and you tell me more about what happened in the process, I'm going to stick to my opinion of that's not what happened. And because if they pass judgment, right, of the three friends or the three guys, Dylan, Victor, and Joseph being homosexual, and this happened to an Asian American, which we already know, I'm sorry to say it, world, but when something happens to an Asian American, nobody, for whatever reason, nobody cares. Right. Zero people care when an Asian American is murdered. Nobody cares. And then you put him in a place where there's three other homosexuals with all this other BDSM. And then you're going to tell me, no, the police didn't mishandle that case, but they instantly judged. That doesn't, that doesn't go along with one another. So (laughs) if they judged him based off of those, then I guarantee you they mishandled the case. Right. So because they probably would have just thought, oh, well, it's solved. Nobody broke in. Nobody murdered him outside. It was at home. I do agree with you on that. That's what I'm stating is that I feel like when it came to their judgment, I feel like, yes, they instantly judged him. But But I think as far as the evidence, the evidence was not mishandled in this case. That's what I'm stating. Okay. So they didn't preserve his blood. No. Okay. All right. Carry on. I'm ready. So more troubling at the time was that police found a gap in the timeline. A neighbor reported to hear a scream come from the house while they were watching the nightly news, but they could not pinpoint the exact time because the news program was on from 11 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. Victor did not place the 911 call until 11.49 p.m., which means that there was at least a 19-minute gap between when they discovered the body and when Victor called police. Now that's stating that 
that the scream came from when the body was discovered. We don't know when the scream came. I just want to throw that we in We just there. know that it was between this time frame, between the 11 and 11.30 window, according to the neighbor who yes. heard the scream. Yes. But we don't know when the scream really, you know what I mean? Was it because they found the body? There's so many different things that could have been a scream. Who's so to say? What is? So do you think that they, let's say that we heard it at 11. Just sure. right on the right. dot, 11, 11.02, whatever. That still gives you a 49-minute window, and the facts are the cadaver dogs found blood in the lint dryer on the second floor. Yes. And on the back patio. Drain, so, yes. So that would give plenty of time for somebody to do all of that and freshly shower and, and whatever. So Right. Okay. So you're initially stating, even though we don't know the specific time frame, we're looking at more than a 20-minute window of not reporting it right away. A 19-minute, yeah. A 19-minute okay. gap of not reporting it. So basically it could have been, let's say Dylan did whatever he did to Robert Mm -hmm. at whatever time Mm -hmm. Joseph comes down because he was the one that was with Robert's body in his underwear, right? Joseph comes down, sees what happened and maybe there's the scream and then maybe panic ensues and he basically helps Dylan cover up whatever really did happen. You could go down that rabbit hole Mm-hmm. because they were there the two in the relationship and like I said maybe because of Joseph and Dylan's relationship their sexual relationship he saw how close Joseph and Robert were as friends even though I don't believe there was anything I think it was solely platonic right I think that maybe he still might have been jealous and also because he saw submissive similarities to Robert's demeanor that he received from Joseph even though Joseph is a dom in real life right right maybe that's how he thought that he could gain control over the situation which would essentially have him have control over Joseph in a way I yes. think at the end of the day is a possibility. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So going back to Dylan Ward and Joseph Price's relationship, did you know that Joseph Price, I find this very interesting, his BDSM name is Kulu Ket. So C-U-L-U-K-E-T. I didn't know that. What does that mean? So Kulu in Spanish usually means your butt. So it could be referred you, to as... You can say ass on this podcast. It's oh, okay. I can't. All right, we've got it. So it means ass. (laughs) (laughs) Ass, bottom, whatever, right? And then you have Ket, which on the street, I didn't know this. I'm learning all these things. Ket is known on the street as a street name of ketamine. Okay, so like a reference to ketamine. Correct. So he has a reference to both of these things in his handle or his name or whatever. Yeah, so Kulu Ket. And then upon that, right? So when I first read Kulu, the K-U-L-U, Ket. I then went down this other rabbit hole, which, you know, I would not, I would not, I'd be very careful on what you Google, P.S., unless you want to be surprised by all these things. (laughs) But I was curious to know, is it a thing in the ketamine community, like the people who abuse ketamine, which it's known as a paralytic slash psychedelic drug so people take it to have the euphoric hallucination yeah good time i guess you could say kind of like how people take ecstasy yes very similar to that right but it dissipates in the body very quickly versus ecstasy i think just dehydrates you yeah well and it would come up on a drug panel so i can see that so then it led me to okay so you have kulu in there is it a form of 
recreational use, do people use it rectally? Right. right. Which I usually wouldn't think about that, but Kulu led me to believe. And yes, it is a thing. So apparently in the party or the club scene, you can abuse ketamine and use it rectally to get an even higher high and it'll last longer. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So what a rabbit hole she found herself in. Right. I thought about a couple of different things. So let's go back to the very beginning as in part one. Right. So Victor, the husband, Joseph's husband, makes the 911 call and essentially stated that he thinks there was an intruder. They stole a knife from the kitchen, even though he's making the call from the third floor. And he doesn't know what happened other than they heard a scream. So I don't know if anybody knows this, but I did some research. And according to the house that Victor, Joseph, and Dylan lived in, going up from the first floor to the second floor, there were quite a number of stairs or steps on the staircase, and they were all wooden. Interesting. Yes. So if you have carpet on there, it may still creak, but it's not going to be It's not going to be as loud. Yes. Versus we all know anybody who's walked on a hardwood floor or, you know, whatever, it creaks. You can hear everything. Well, especially if you're a heavy walker, right? You're going to hear that. Or if I'm an intruder and I'm running because I'm somewhere I don't belong. Even if the intruder, I think it was just tiptoeing. Exactly. You would still hear all of that. Somebody would hear it. Yes. Right? But nobody heard it. Exactly. But he also or she, they did not murder Dylan in the first room. Right. Or steal anything or make a mess, as we know. Okay. So you do with what you will with, (laughs) you know, that information. Right. Anyway, so moving back to the rabbit hole. Okay. So we know that Dylan is a dom. So in my mind, this is kind of where this is the avenue that I'm going down is I think Robert Wan was drugged initially, just given a little bit where he wouldn't be so with it consciously. Right. And then he got tired, said, you know what, I'm going to go to bed, did his nighttime routine, got dressed, whatever, put his mouth guard in. Yes. And then he laid down. And I think because of that, Dylan, I don't know if he had the intentions of doing all of this stuff, right, to Robert. But in my mind, if you are a dom, And I just wonder if he felt threatened by the platonic relationship of Robert and Joseph and that upset him because he wants total control over Joseph sexually. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I don't know if he was also trying to gain control over Robert, which would give him ultimate control over Joseph in a way or use Robert as leverage in like a kinky fetish whatever way. So there's that aspect of it. But he had, Robert Wan had marks on his neck, his foot, and his hand. And if you give somebody too much or over a specific amount of ketamine, they can overdose. Okay. So I wonder if this is all happening. Dylan's doing his dumb thing, having a, I was going to say Gale. <laughs> a Gale time. <laughs> I was going to say I that. I thought the same thing and thought, well, that's inappropriate. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Having a grand old time. Having a good time. <laughs> Not 
Matt's <laughs> milking machine. Got it. Yes. Got it. We know that Robert Wong had his own semen inserted. Yes. So I wonder if all of this is happening. Dylan's gaining the control out of Robert, whatever was happening in that time. And then he injected more ketamine into him, whether it's wearing off, whatever you know, yeah. the situation may have been. Unfortunately, Robert at that time could have overdosed and then passed. So you have this individual that you're doing these things to, you panic. And the only thing that you can think about, and I think this is maybe, I don't know if Joseph was there during all of this. Yeah, who's to say? Yeah, and Dylan was doing this to Robert to get a reaction out of Joseph, you know, for their fet, whatever. I could see that. Yes. Yes. And Ultimately, Robert overdosed. It's not going to show up on a toxicology report. He overdoses. They panic because he's obviously dead at that point. And then they basically stage something, right? I think that they stage something. And I, regardless of how it happened, I believe that they staged it. Yeah. Number one, because you, obviously we know there was a time gap from when Victor called. And when you guys listen to the phone call, like I said, you take from it what you will. I took it as Victor had been coached and he was very calm, especially when he states over and over, I think there was an intruder in the house and they killed somebody in our home. And we don't know who did this. Exactly. I just think with that, it's very intentional. And the only time that you would repeat yourself that many times Times. Yes, you can do that in shock. I'm not I'm not saying that's not a thing. But I think in this instance, when you over explain something, it's a form of guilt. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that you have him over explaining what he thinks happened. We have all those stairs, the wooden stairs that did not creak. We have the fact that the individual did whomever, right? If there is an intruder, we, we can entertain that idea. Yeah. So you walk up all these steps. Nobody heard you, even though the paramedics even stated in a report as they were going up the stairs, those stairs were creaking immensely loud. So we know that they make noise. Yeah, enough for them to put it in their report and make it a point. Yes. Right. So you have the wooden staircase and then you have the first room, which is Dylan's untouched. Bypass. Nothing happened to him. Nothing happened to Victor and Joseph on the third floor. Just went right for Robert. And there's no sign of forced entry. There's no sign of a fight, which leads me down the rabbit hole of Robert was drugged because he wouldn't put up a fight. He would be half unconscious, essentially, physically anyway. And also, here's a fun fact. I don't know if you knew this. This is what happens when you do your own research, people. (laughs) I don't recommend it. So it really bothered me on the fact that Robert was found face up with three large wounds from the stab wounds. And the report said small to no blood, which if it has that big of a stab wound, especially to the heart and or chest area, there should be blood. Yeah, where's the blood? Yeah, even if if there's no blood spatter, there should still be an excessive amount of blood. Yeah. But there wasn't. And we know that they found blood in the drain on the back patio, right? And also in the dryer lint on the second floor. Yes. So my question was, did they even, I know they brought the cadaver dog, but did they do a blood splatter test or did they bring somebody in that essentially tried to see if there was blood on the scene that had been cleaned up or whatever it's called that they do? Yeah, a blood splatter analysis. You were correct. Yes, is that what it's called? Okay, look at you, true crime expert. I mean, I I don't know these things. Anyway, so... (laughs) They did. And it was, I think during this time, it was still kind of a new concept, not super new, but new enough. And whomever was performing this test did it incorrectly. 
Oh, no. So there was blood that was produced, and it was all over the place, apparently. But because they initiated the test incorrectly, they ruined any type of evidence that they could use to prove that there was ever blood that was cleaned up. Wow, can you imagine being that person? That's horrible. And I wonder, I'm going to assume that's why that information is not readily available because why would you put that out there? That yes, we did that and we messed up, but hey, we can't use that information, you know? Yes. Interesting. Okay, look at you bringing all the facts. I know. No, I thought it it makes me really sad. And this brings me back to the fact that I feel there was a very big injustice. I mean, I feel yes. I feel that way about every case because of course. it's always what the police did not do, whether it's what they did do and it was highly incorrect or what you didn't do because you didn't think it was important right? or you didn't do it to cover up whatever it is that you messed up. Exactly. So I think that this whole situation happened. I'm sure the police thought that these guys were guilty of something because it's so obvious. Yeah, it is very obvious. obvious. But I think because it was the early 2000s and like I said, coming out for you was very different than coming out for me. Fun fact, side note, Brittany is 31. Brittany had the luxury of coming out to her family and friends and everybody just saying, oh, okay. Or we knew. Yeah. It was not a big deal. It wasn't a shock. Versus I have a very different experience and it was not... Uh, welcome. It was not something that you said out loud because it was still a very, it was a time that it just was not a positive thing and people did not react to it great. As in, we live in Utah. People told me, people that I had known from like kindergarten all the way into my adult life and we had a great relationship and then I gave them this very vulnerable information about me being gay and I was told that I was going to go to hell that I was going to rot in hell for making this choice because it's a choice and it was devastating it was very devastating and nothing but hate came from a lot of people that I thought only had love for me So during this time, right, it's early 2000s, you've got Prop 8, world, especially the U.S., is in complete disarray because people felt like traditional marriage was in jeopardy. Yes. Traditional marriage is in marriage should only be shared between a man and a woman, which in my mind, why do you care? Right. If you have your right... Why do you care? What does Brittany and I being married or Mary and Sue being married, how does that incorporate and affect your life, whether it's positive or even negative? How does it have an effect directly to you? It doesn't right? But people were so hateful at this time. People would throw beer in your face at pride. People were out there with you're going to hell signs and God hates you. So I think because of the time frame that this happened and because the three guys, Dylan and Victor, were homosexuals and why else would Robert, why else would a straight Asian man be at this home because we can't just be friends with homosexuals. <laughs> yeah. And and you know the stories. I've I've lived with one of our best friends. And right. everybody asked her, she's a straight female, okay? 
and everybody asked her, are you a lesbian now because your roommate is a lesbian? Or do you fear that your friend that lives with you that is gay is going to do something to you? <laughs> and th those were very valid questions in their minds, right. which to me was ridiculous. So of course, a straight Asian man or just a straight man in general can't coexist in a friendship, a platonic friendship, no sexual reference with three homosexual men because, oh my God, that's just unheard of. We can't all just be adults, right? And yes. have our own references. Right. So I think that because of all of this, they didn't care. And so when these major mishaps were happening, I think that nobody cared and nobody put up a fight. Right. I get that. Yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, it was a, in your opinion, it was a sexual act. Mm -hmm. And he unfortunately was drugged. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it went awry and you know, something happened and he was given too much and he overdosed. Or maybe panic. He, or maybe it wore off and he came to and he started screaming. Right. And, they and panicked. there's your scream. Yep. They panicked. And so they still stabbed him to and cover they, it up. Yeah. And we went with the intruder story because we felt like that was the best way to approach it. A really shitty intruder story. Yes. Yes. That's where you're at. Yes. And then, you know, you have this random masseuse who has random <laughs> knives in the cabinet but the one main knife that would fit the crime scene has never been found. It just disappeared. Right. Randomly. I really believe the knife set found in his room had to do with the BDSM. I don't know why else you would have the knives. If but... you were going to get rid of one knife, why wouldn't you just get rid of all of them? You might as well toss because, them off. Because in my mind, <laughs> it makes you look more guilty by leaving them in the cabinet. It does. I just, I don't understand. Anyway. One of the many problems was that police had no concrete evidence to point to who actually committed the crime. Joseph, Victor, and Dylan were no longer cooperating with investigators. Big surprise. I was about to say surprise, surprise. <laughs> they hired an attorney right after their initial police questioning. So with that, I think you and I go back and forth on this. Do you feel that somebody who immediately hires an attorney in case in in situations like this, do you think that that is them admitting guilt? Oh, that's so hard. No, because I feel like most people do it for their own protection, mm -hmm. right? Like, stop talking to me. You're going to trip me up. And mm -hmm. I am the type of person that's probably like, oh, the police are out to get me for sure. <laughs> As yeah, we know, I just am convinced that that's the thing. And I instantly would be the person that would get an attorney, not obviously being guilty. I think that people do it for self-protection. Do you think that that's admitting guilt? I think it depends. You do. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I think it depends because in my mind, if I have nothing to hide, why worry? But at the same time, I do realize police police training in regards to interrogating a witness is to essentially, the whole objective is to have them admit guilt right. or take blame. So I think if it were me and these questions are being directed at me, even though I may be innocent and I'm telling you this is what happened, but you are still attempting to turn my words around to get me to trip up. Yes, I can understand wanting to protect yourself and wanting to get an attorney. So that way, I do agree. Right. I think it can go both ways. So I'm kind of torn on whether I feel if that's an admittance of guilt or not. 
Anyway, I was just curious. <laughs> An entire year goes by, and now we've reached the one-year anniversary of the death of oh, Robert wow. Wan, which would have been in August of 2007. Police were still no closer to learning who had killed Robert. Oh, okay. Sad, isn't it? It is sad. Fast forward another year to November of 2008, so roughly two years after Robert had been murdered, D.C. prosecutors charged all three men with obstruction of justice. Interesting. Did they say why? They did not. Or the documents that you found? The documents that I found did not. Okay. Six days later, on November 25th, 2008, Kathy Wan filed a $20 million civil suit alleging that her husband's three friends had done nothing to help him after he had been stabbed. You know, I I haven't even thought about her very much during this entire conversation. And can you imagine? Obviously, it stated that she was very familiar with Joseph Price. Can yes. you imagine your husband is murdered and you think that the three guys that he was staying with were his friends, that they had his back, that they would look out for him. And so you never thought it possible that these people who you assumed really loved and cared about your husband would all of a sudden be charged with obstruction of justice, meaning that they did nothing to help the person that you assumed they loved and cared about. Can you imagine the betrayal that she must have felt? I'm sure. And the anger. Oh, I'm sure. The case went to trial about a year and a half later in 2010. Oh, this is a lot of years have gone by. Despite all of the suspicious evidence against the men, the judge did not believe beyond a reasonable doubt that they had committed obstruction of justice. Wow. Okay. The judge would tell the court that she believed that the men all knew who killed Robert, but that she ultimately acquitted them of the charges. I wonder, do we know if Joseph, Victor, and Dylan had a lot of support from the community? Because obviously they did really great things within the LGBTQ plus community. And I just wonder if it made things harder. Yes, I believe the community fully supported them. Now, whether or not they believed the intruder story or what people believe, I'm not sure. Do you think that they just blindly supported them? Absolutely. Okay. I found it interesting that she didn't believe that they committed any obstruction of justice. The judge? Yes. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, there's really no evidence. Mm, I mean, there's some evidence. In 2011, Kathy Wan settled her civil suit with the three men for an undisclosed amount. She explained to a Washington Post report, I am moving on. I want to spend the next 40 years of my life focusing on good. They can rot from the inside out from all the secrets they chose to keep. That's their choice, and I choose to move on. How sad. Kathy would later go on to give an interview where she was quoted saying, Right after Robert died, my world was blown into so many pieces, not even pieces, but mountains of ash. I often find myself wondering, is there even really a finish line to putting one's life back together? So my question for you and everyone listening is, was the murder of Robert Wan a perfect crime? No. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think because of the evidence that was not able to be used in regards to the blood being shown because of the inconsistency of the test that was performed, right? I think that just ruined a lot of chances. I do as well. We may never know exactly what happened that night. We're left with the tragedy of Robert's killing, an unexplained act of violence that tested the power of friendship. That was the case of Robert Eric Wan. What did you think? It makes me really sad, like all these other cases. Uh, did you know that Dylan changed 
his name shortly after this? I didn't. It is no longer Dylan Ward. It is something oh, else. I can't remember. She was about was. to blast him right there. No, well, I, I can't remember what it is. But I know that he moved to Miami. <laughs> they all did. And he changed his last name. He probably needed to live a better life. And people were probably very aware of who Well, he I mean, was. that's what happens when you murder somebody, Dylan. You can't just <laughs> move and expect people to forgive you. Are you ready for some tea? I hope it's funny because I could use something. <laughs> it's always funny. Let me tell you about Gary Ruff. Gary tried to rob a bookstore armed with only a cucumber a few years ago. What on earth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> However, he was soon tackled to the ground by an off-duty police officer when it was clear that a harmless vegetable wasn't going to be much of a threat. He told police that it was all a joke before asking, am I getting the jail for this? He was arrested in 2014 after admitting assault with intent to rob. Um, did he... Put the vegetable like up for <laughs> it everybody. It was like up his sleeve, yeah. Oh, kind of, okay. you know, so, pointing it so it looked like so he they had could a gun. see. Yeah, exactly. Oh no. oh no, Gary. No, no, Gary. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Wow. All right, are you ready for these jokes? I am. So before I continue, I just want you to know that I am not a professional singer. I just want you to remember that, and everybody that's listening, you'll understand soon enough. Okay. Got it. First joke is, because I'm giving you two, what does Moses' wife's kitchen apron say across it? What? It says the hostess with the Moses. <laughs> I like that one a lot. It? The yeah, hostess? I yeah. got it. Oh, I got it for sure. <laughs> All right. So my last joke. What is Whitney Houston's favorite type of coordination? Ooh, I don't know. That one's rough. And I... Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. Before we end this episode, we wanted to announce that our podcast, The Tea on Crime, has now joined Patreon. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it is a monthly subscription page platform that will be ad-free with bonus episodes that are exclusive only to our Patreon listeners. So head on over to our page at patreon.com slash tea on crime to hear more tea being spilled. We're really excited to provide you with bonus content. And then as always, everybody, we really appreciate your support. That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast. Instagram at T on Crime Podcast, Twitter at T on Crime Pod, and TikTok at T on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. And we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye!